Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund. Today, we have an uber-talented and multifaceted, talented human being, really creative. I, I got to tell you, I just checked out this documentary film he did, and it is so interesting. I mean, everything about this guy is interesting. His taste in art is interesting. I think the way that he looks at life, which I don't really fully know yet, but just the content that he's created that is just incredible is so different and so unique. This is a conversation I'm really excited uh, to have because I want to get to know what's inside our guest, Mike Messier's head. And uh, by the way, he's got a really, really cool, interesting last name because one of the greatest hockey players of all time is Mr. Messier. So I'm sure you hockey fans know who I'm talking about, but without further ado, it is an absolute honor for me to introduce to you, as I said, the uber-talented Mr. Mike Messier. What's up, Mike? How you doing? I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for having me on the show, and I look forward to speaking you speaking with you today. And, uh, you know, Mark Messier won a Stanley Cup without Gretzky, but Gretzky never won a Stanley Cup without Messier. That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, there's, a few, there's a few other players that have some stories like that. I hear that, you know, Jordan and Pippen, and, you know, there's a very comparable thing there. But I got to ask, you have the same last name. Are you guys related? Well, I've been told we're distant cousins, but I haven't gotten my residual checks yet. You know, <laughs> when I was a kid, Mark Messier was probably at his prime, you know, with the Oilers and everything. And then later on with the Rangers. And, uh, you know, my family actually said the last name Messier. And you can imagine I got some, you know, childhood pickings and childhood bullying and stuff from that. And then when I saw this Mark Messier guy, I just kind of, asked my family, why aren't we saying this Messier? And they had no good answer. So I started saying it Messier. And within five or 10 years, the rest of my family was saying Messier as well. You know, Messier sounds cool, but Messier, I, I, I could see how kids would pounce on that name because my yeah. last name is Berglund. And somehow that got twisted into Hamburglar because, you know, the Hamburglar from McDonald's growing up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that's, I had a lot of bad nicknames, but Hamburglar was one of the other, one of them. And it made no sense, but nonetheless, kids are freaking mean. Yeah. yeah. Go after anything they can to make fun of you with. But anyway, before we get into this conversation, because there is a lot to cover with you, because you do a lot of different things and you're really, really talented. And I can't Thanks. wait to get inside your head a little bit. But can you tell me, Mike, what are you grateful for today and why? Well, I'm grateful that, wow, that's a great question. I, I, let's put it this way. I saw Oppenheimer a few nights ago, and I'm grateful that the world hasn't exploded by now. So we've got that going for us to start with. And maybe on a more personal level, you know, I, I live in a home where my roommate has kids, you know, and they're here some of the time. And the kids are kind of, they're, they're good kids, but their friends are very loud. And so during, their, during the summer breaks, their friends come over. And I'm grateful that school starts early in Florida. It starts in less than two weeks. So not that I'm counting down the days, but I'm counting down the days. Well, you know what? Don't tell anybody this, but I'm really excited the school starting too, because I would really love some time alone with my wife. I, <laughs> I haven't been able to hang out with her in a while. And I, I mean, I love her kids. Her kids are amazing, but they... You know, they they kind of steal my quality time. So I, I I understand the excitement about school. I don't even know where to start with you because 
The last thing that I checked out that you've created is your art and your art is freaking weird and awesome and interesting and really hard to take your eyes off of. And then the disregard the vampire, the Mike Messier documentary. That's really interesting. You're just a really talented guy. Like, okay. Disregard the vampire. Like where in the heck do you come up with a name like that? What does that mean? You know, the original title of the piece was Disregard. And then as we started making the project, you know, people kind of disregarded the title of Disregard and just started saying the Vampire Project or the Vampire Movie. And then, you know, I try to be a little aware of marketing and just thinking like, if I'm trying to reach people, the word Disregard, I think is cool for a title, but yet it's not very specific. It's kind of a vague title. So throwing the vampire in there made sense because at least you're kind of giving some indication of the project. Now, that's when the project was originally a narrative. And as, and as you know, you've watched the doc that's on YouTube on One Man and a Camera Films. And once it became clear it was a documentary, I also, I really had to take ownership of the project just to give the audience a little bit of a summary. We were making this vampire narrative film. The lead actor dropped out after we already started filming. I had to get a replacement actor who was actually a rock and roll singer who had really hadn't acted in 20 or 30 years. And somehow we made a project, but it was no longer a narrative. It was a documentary. And the, we filmed in 2014. The editing of the doc wasn't until 2017. And just to inspire myself to keep going with the editing of it now being a documentary and some of the disappointment that we didn't make our narrative vampire film, I had to put my name in the title to take accountability for the process. And that's kind of what the documentary is about. You know, in, in New England, Joshua, there's a lot of people who start to make films and don't finish. And I, I call them choke points. You might have an idea, but you don't write a treatment. You might write a treatment, but you don't write a script. You might write the script, but you don't film it. You might film it, but you don't edit it. You might even edit it but it gets lost in a hard drive in your basement. And, and that wasn't a problem just with me. That was a problem with a lot of my colleagues in New England to the point where we're kind of losing momentum and we're losing interest in, in making our own films. So by putting my name in the title, I said, better or worse, sink or swim, I have to own this project. And so that's why I put my name in the title. You know what? So I really dig that, man. I, I dig that because I, and I'm guessing here, but you have a dream, you have a big dream and you may not have all the resources that you want or need to be able to bring that dream to life right now, but you're doing it anyway. And a lot of people, and that, correct me if I'm wrong where I'm going here, but a lot of people say they want to be a filmmaker. They want to shoot TV shows or make documentaries or create a podcast or make a movie and yet they'll start it, but then they leave it somewhere. And of course, the filmmaking process, anyone who's ever made a film knows how difficult it is because you could, I mean, there's a lot of $5 million films that have no distribution that have been made, shot, have actors, people. I mean, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of unfinished projects out there. There's half-baked ideas, but to see it through from beginning to end and then get to distribution, like people don't really understand unless they've done it, how challenging that process is. And at the same time, there's just as many people that say, one day I'm going to write a book. One day I'm going to make the movie. One day I'm going to do this. As soon as I have the money, as soon as I have the budget, I'm going to do this. 
and you didn't do that. You had you you could have been one of those stories of a half baked idea that didn't finish, but you saw it through. So to me, what that says is you have a dream and you're willing to sacrifice anything and everything to make that dream happen. Am I off base? No, you've got it. You've got it, Joshua. And, you know, and and there was also a lot of people involved. And, you know, I felt an accountability to, to people. You know, I mean, as an actor myself, I know that a lot of times, especially when you're a new actor or a non-union actor, it's not about paycheck. It's it's really not even about, for most of us, it's not about fame. It's let's do a good project. And if you're taking people's time away from their family, their friends, you know, one of our actresses was in college, you know, taking time out of classes to do this thing. I feel a personal integrity test, like I've got to deliver on a project. And the funny thing is we've actually over-delivered because we got the documentary out of that footage. And, and remember, this footage has horrible audio. We got, we got really bad audio with that footage. And I can tell you why, you know, because a technical error, the thought from some of my crew was, hey, we should have boom mics and we should have lav mics at the same time. Well, the idea was to have a backup. But what we didn't realize until it was too late, the backups have frequencies, like radio frequencies. And instead of having two good audios, we had two non-usable audios. Oh. So, so if nothing else, on top of the missing or the replaced actor, I should say, because I think our replacement was actually better than the original guy uh, for us anyway. But once we had, once it was clear that this footage could not make a narrative, I made the doc. And then a year ago, uh, Joshua, me and my buddy Tim Labonte went back and we took that original footage that I've watched thousands of times at this point, and we made a 16-minute silent film out of it. So I basically went to the drawing board with that same footage you saw on the dock with some of the stuff you didn't see, took myself off camera. There's no Mike Messier, you know, telling the story type of thing. And I basically rewrote, me and Tim rewrote a narrative story based on the footage. So we basically made a movie in reverse. We, we had the filming first for, you know, this 10-year-old footage. And now we're writing a script to pertain to the footage that we've already had. And that that came out very well too you know we got a great score from my buddy tony caramadre and i'll send you the link to that and we feel pretty good about that one too so i want to i want to stay with film though because i do want to talk about fighter play basketball yeah. uh fighter place that sounds interesting too what what made you want to start making movies to begin with because ever i think everyone has a different reason like my reason because I never had a desire to growing up. I mean, I had I had the aspirations that I had. I never knew when I was young that it would turn into media and entertainment and that world at all. I didn't have a clue. But when I my passion ignited for filmmaking, it became the, the with it came from the understanding of how powerful storytelling is. And it's different than speaking on stage. And speaking on stage is one of the most exhilarating things that I get to do. I love to MC, but there's something about creating a story and 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 making a movie out of it, even if it's sharing your own story. That process is so unique and special, and it's different than any. It's different than writing a book. It's obviously different than creating a podcast. It's even different than a TV show. But so the process is 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 
is different for everyone. The reason why people get into it is something is different for you. When, when did you get inspired to become a filmmaker and why? When I was in high school, I discovered uh, that I could take two VCRs and make an editing system. If I, you know, recorded on one VCR with the output of another VCR, and I could, you know, dub wrestling tapes. You know, I could rent a, you know, back when we had rental stores, you could rent a wrestling tape or a movie. And if they didn't have the, the protection on it, you could dub it. But then I discovered after doing that a few times, if I take the audio output out of the VCR, out of the second VCR, and take that audio output into this boom box I had with the old ABC, you know, red, yellow, and white wires, right? Yeah. I, I could channel in music from the boombox, from the cassette player, or even from the radio into the recording VCR. And if I jammed on that pause button enough on the recording VCR, I can make edits. And that was the best editing I've ever done, to be honest with you, because I, I've, I've stopped being an editor. But when I was 15 years old, I figured out how to make this VCR system work. And I turned in a couple of projects for my high school class. And basically, kids were spending a lot of time on their projects you know what i mean like we had these senior class projects and stuff and i kind of figured out a way hey if i spend like five or six or seven hours making this vhs tape that nobody else knows how to do i can get this a better grade for the assignment because people were kind of blown away because this was like nobody was editing you know what i mean nobody had the, the, that stuff at that time yeah. so i think and i always loved tv shows you know i know that there's definitely a difference between film and tv but a lot of my childhood, Joshua, was watching sitcom reruns uh, to the point of like you memorize the show. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, know. I I kind of lived through things like the Brady Bunch and and Good Times and What's Happening and those type of shows. And so, you know, there was I think there was a song lyric by Soul Asylum that said reruns become our history, and and it's kind of true for me. I was kind of a kid that was raised with a lot of TV, and I kind of put television or being seen on TV on a pedestal. And maybe that's what kind of spurred me to want to be in that mix. Makes sense. Huh. Zach Morris, Say by the Bell. I've watched every Say by the Bell episode like 30 times. And I think I have every episode memorized. My brother the same way. I mean, there's a certain TV shows and your reruns, just memorize it. And I don't even know why now. The only thing I'll rewatch is Goodfellas, Casino, or Godfather. That's it. Other than that, I want to watch something new. Yeah. But I want to ask you something, though, because you're talking about an editing style that I've never heard of. And so all, all I can think of is if it wasn't for people like you, people like me wouldn't even know how to edit because now I get to, you know, the, the new editing systems are just, look, I'm pretty sure my dog could do it. I mean, not with all of the different effects that can be done, but I mean, Editing has gone, it is so much more simple to use or to do now with all of these different technologies. And of course, now there's AI that does it for you. As someone that comes from truly, like you're the a MacGyver of filmmaking in the way, in the sense that you did what you had to do to make it happen back then. And part of that was what you did with VCRs. So when you see all of this new technology that has completely simplified everything, where now you can make a full feature length film from your phone and, you know, I mean, just the, everything's changed. How do you feel about that? Does it excite you? Does it go, ah, I miss the old days? Like, wh what do you feel about it? 
Well, I have I have mixed feelings. I mean, I think I think the the more generous or more you know the better part of me says, hey, anytime you have advancement in technology where more people can create art without considerations for budget or through you know having an uncle in the business, that's that's overall for the better. But you know, sometimes I do feel like, hey, maybe I was born too late, maybe I was born too soon, you know, stuff like that, and and sometimes it gets my competitive fires up. You know, I, I see a guy like Logan Paul who's doing so well with his YouTube channel and, or even Mr. Beast, who's like the king of YouTube. And I've sat there and watched these guys and I find their personalities to be quite boring. And I don't find that they're, they're not offending me. They're not upsetting me. They're, they're just boring me. And I, I, I wonder, like, I give them credit. I'm not taking away anything from either one of those guys, but you know, I feel like in some ways the competition's there. And I guess I have a little bit of that V8 moment, like, man, I should have been on this YouTube thing 10 or 15 years earlier. And I feel like I've been passed up. So, I mean, a lot of my life, you know, and, and he comes through in my art and everything is, is feeling like, man, did I miss the boat? Was I on the boat too soon? Did I get off too soon? Was I on the wrong boat? So there's all those struggles in, in the mind. Hmm. Well, I actually think that you are, you're alive today for a time such as this, because I believe that the value like people like yourself and the generation of filmmaking and, and really just art in general, because you're an artist. I mean, you're more than a filmmaker. You do, you do more than make movies. You're an artist. You're a true artist. You are a true, I mean, everything I think that an artist is like, that is the death, that is you. And so I think that the, the, the world that we're heading into is actually perfect for you because you are going to have the perfect mix of the old school way and the old school knowledge of doing things and understanding that hustle and the work ethic and, and, the, and all of that that went into it back then. And you can take that information and apply it to the advancements of technology and all, the, all that's available now. I really believe that that is going to serve you well. And I personally believe you're going to do really, really well in the self-hosting realm. Meaning instead of relying on a YouTube, betting on yourself and betting on that. And that's a whole other conversation to go down. But we, I, myself, our organization, we are all about independent media and working with the independent creators to help launch them and providing an ecosystem where independent creators that don't have, you know, the big agents and the and the you know huge contracts and all that other stuff like we want to work with them to elevate them but also in, empower them to own their likeness and get paid what they're actually worth instead of taking pennies on the dollar that you get on youtube because i'm monetized on youtube and i i i kind of I, I just put my clips there in fact i think i'm kind of even done putting stuff on youtube even though i'm monetized but like i'm getting pennies on the dollar pennies on the dollar like, why would I do that? Because I can have 10,000 views on a, on a, a YouTube video and get, make five bucks from that. Right. If I get a hundred views on my website, that's a thousand dollars. So why in the world, like, like, I, so I'm all about the self-hosting. And so for creators like yourself that are multifaceted and have a lot of different creations and their intellectual property is, is really, I mean, it's entertaining you know, it's, you have a really unique opportunity, I believe, with independent media 
to get some really cool projects done. And I'm actually really excited to see what else you have that's not released because one of the things that we're doing on our platform at Dirt Merchants Movie Company is helping artists publish. So I want to talk to you about that in a separate conversation, but you are a unique talent. And, and the reason why I've kind of gone off on this little tangent is because you've been at this longer than I have. I came in when I decided that I was going to go down this path. I came in right when Facebook Live started. So for me, that was like training my brain for distribution and all of the different ways to repurpose content. Like that was my introduction to the new media. And then right. from that, ended up with my own network and now run a network and a company. But that came from what I learned with new media. You come from an old school and you've been at this longer. And, and now, you know, here we are with this opportunity. I've heard you saying the things that you were saying. Like, I really believe that now is your time. And you have a really unique opportunity to, to monetize your likeness, your art, your old work, and then create new stuff. So if I can ever be assistance to help you do any of that, I love to help people, especially people from the old school, because you offer so much value for people like me that I want to teach you all the new media stuff because I want to see your dream come true. Yeah, I really appreciate that. We'll definitely talk again, either off air or, or however you want to do it, because I'm intrigued. And I definitely have the stuff, you know, Joshua, I mean, I've got these novels. I mean, I recorded a spoken word CD in 2003 that's just kind of sitting on a shelf. You know what I mean? So I've, I've definitely got I've definitely that's the that's the thing about me is like I don't have a hard time creating content. It's the distribution, the marketing and. A lot of times with me, what happens is I get so frustrated with the lack of, you know, distribution that I just move on to something else creatively. And whether that's, you know, like, for instance, the last month I bounced back and forth between my acrylic art and my YouTube and my re revising my screenplays and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, to have somebody who's a little bit more or a lot more, you know, focused on the modern way of doing these things, that'd be great. Oh, you're the exact reason why I call you. People like yourself, when I was envisioning when I created Media Company in a Box, and I just use it for our company, and I use it through the, the educational courses that we teach that we just give away for free. I mean, it's, it's my creation, and I get to give it away. So I love to work with people like yourself to show you. It's really, really simple. Like, And, and the funny thing about this process what media company in the box is. And I'm not trying to sell you anything because again, I it's mine. I give it away when I choose to. This is like when you see it, it's like, why didn't I think of that? Like literally that's what happens because you have all of these different revenue streams that are you're waiting, but they have no foundation to launch off of. And essentially what it is is me creating your foundation. I'm not going to go into what the what all of this is right now, but I've got the foundation to build. I can already see with the content that I've already seen of yours, how to put it together in a way that would really showcase your portfolio of creations. So when we're off air, I got one of the things that I really want you to do, I can't believe I'm doing this during the actual conversation, but one of the things that I really want you to do is to send me a Google Drive with your art, your books, and anything that you want to send me to look at because that doesn't have distribution, because I can help you. Like that's what I'm, if anything I'm good at, and I'm good at a couple things, but if anything I'm good at 
its distribution. Like I fully understand it. And ironically, distributing a t-shirt or a skincare product is no different than distributing a movie nowadays. It's all the same. So I've got a system. I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to teach it to you if you want it, because I think you're a really talented guy and, and, and just a really neat talent. And I'm just blown away with what I've seen so far, but I want to talk to you about fight or play basketball. What is that all about? Where did that come from? That is a really neat looking story. I was, thank you. I was in a writer's group back in 2012 when I lived in Rhode Island. And, you know, we had a guy in the group, Carl Dupree, who wrote Detroit Rock City. Like that was kind of our one person in our group that was already successful. Yeah, and, that's a movie. Yeah. So Carl's a Rhode Island guy. At least he was then. He's moved to LA since. But, and there was just others, you know, like there was like five of us who would come and, and do this group. And we were always kind of challenging each other to provide really good scripts, you know, because when you have a screenwriting group, we met every other week, we met at the same coffee house, we would be there for three or four or five hours. And in that process, at the time, we had seen Rocky Balboa, but not the Creed movies. And I, I love the Rocky movies. I love the Rocky character, you know, it's a big part of my childhood. And I just, just on a lark one night at my apartment, in Wickford, Rhode Island, I started typing away, like, what would happen if, if Rocky was like a trainer? And so basically, I started, I wrote about 10 pages of what I was calling Rocky 7. And this was before Creed came out. And then I actually called Stallone's management company. I called, I looked him up and, and I had like the creative screenwriters directory or something like that. And I called Stallone's people and and I just laid the pitch out. I said, hey, I'm just a screenwriter. I have written about 10 pages of what I consider to be a pretty good Rocky Seven script. If I were to finish the script, would Sylvester Stallone read it? And they actually returned my phone call, which I thought was nice. And they gave me a very straightforward answer, which is, do you have money to back this project? <laughs> well, I don't, but I have, you know, I have the, the ability to write a good script. And so they basically said, well, Unless there's money involved, most likely he couldn't read it or he wouldn't read it. So I, I was actually grateful. I was actually grateful that they even returned the phone call, to be honest with you. And so once that was clear that Rocky Seven from Mike Messier was not going to happen anytime soon, I basically changed the Rocky character to Sweet Sugar Brown, who is the boxing trainer in my script. And I've re rewritten as a novel. And Sweet Sugar Brown is kind of like a George Foreman on a bad day. You know, like that's the easiest way to describe them. And then there's Punch Pengora, who's this Slovenian boxer. And then Punch is trying to get, you know, sweets training. And they're kind of bickering. And then they hear this woman screaming. So as I'm writing the story, more and more characters are coming into focus. And then the, the main character, as it stands now, Jack Scratch is the teenage boy. He was kind of like the fourth character to be written, but it kind of became his story. And what I'm trying to show with this story, the title of Fighter Play Basketball is because the kid, Jack, is torn between the worlds of basketball with his high school team. And then he discovers this new passion for boxing. And it's the challenges of you know, the team sport versus the individual sport, the finesse of basketball versus the fury of boxing. But what it really comes down to is Jack's raised by a single mom and he hasn't had a father figure in quite some time. And the boxers 
provide the father figure in his life that he's been searching for. That's the real hook for the boxing. It's not the boxing. It's that he's connecting with these guys in the gym. And that's my story. And, and fighter play basketball, people that read it really seem to like it. The screenplays won a few awards and now it's available, you know, in the, in the novel format, hardcover, paperback and whatever. And for me, you know, the people that have read it, it's kind of one of those things where like nobody can really argue with it. No one can say, oh, this is a crap story or anything. People, people enjoy it. But the hard thing is always to get people to actually read it. But it's a story that I'm really proud of. And hopefully more people read the book and uh, eventually it will be made into a feature film. There's parts of your story intertwined in this, isn't there? Yeah. And, you know, my, I, I'm from a divorced family. You know, my mom and dad split up and my, my dad was pretty active in my life. You know, he took me to a lot of hockey games and so forth. And, but the reality was my parents were also a little bit, they were about 10 years older than most of my friends' parents. And I didn't really think about that as a kid. But when I look back on how things went down, I think that that 10 years was pretty significant because they were a little less, you know, physically active than other kids' parents, let's say, you know what I mean? And I don't think that was anything against my, my folks. I just think that they were just older, you know, and they didn't have that same energy or participation. And I think that kind of turned me a little bit inward, meaning I became more of an indoor kid, like watching TV and, and spending time with my action figures as opposed to out playing ball all the time. And I think the manifestation of this Jack character is kind of the kid that I wish that I was, but I wasn't, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm writing this Jack, you know, this, this kid that's great at basketball, which was like the one sport that I was halfway decent at. And he's, he's good at boxing, which I've always, you know, loved boxing as a fan. But so Jack is kind of living the life as a character that I wish I had lived as a kid, but didn't, you know, and, and I can say that. And then the backdrop of Providence, Rhode Island, you know, Rhode Island's a very interesting state. It's a small state. I lived there for a long time. It is a state where if you're around long enough, people treat you better just because like familiarity is a big thing with folks up there. And they're almost suspicious of you until they've known you for 20 years. So, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I just, I, I wanted to kind of honor, there's a certain toughness of Rhode Island that's there there's also a certain futility of it and there's also a, a good awareness among some of the people there that like hey look if i'm really going to succeed in life it's got to be beyond this borders of this little state and some people realize that and some people don't and i wanted to have jack as one of the ones that did realize that like hey i've got to make my mark in basketball or in boxing or in something in order to kind of get beyond this point of living in North Providence, Rhode Island for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of, there's always autobiographical stuff in stories like this. Sure. Man, you're, yeah, I can't wait to see the rest of your content and the rest of you creating, because you're our, I, I, like, this is what I, I, the final thing to wrap it up, really, and, and there's really more to talk about, so we'll have to do this again, but your art, like, Talk about that because I mean, as as interesting as the other projects as I've seen that you've done are, your art is amazing, amazing. Appreciate that. I'll, I'll go grab a couple of samples so I can show show you. You know, the interesting thing, Joshua, was I really started doing the art in December of 2022, which is not that long ago. I mean, I I 
I've drawn in the past. I've, you know, sketched a few things that I loved, but, but never really followed up like, Hey, I'm going to make a bunch of this stuff. So in December, for some reason, I just decided like, Hey, it's time to, to get going with art again, you know? So here's one of them. It has a, not Dolly. Oh my gosh. Is it Picasso? It's very similar to Picasso, right? The people have been saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So this stuff is like, I'm really, and what's fun about it for me is I wanted to, to do a medium that I could kind of take on the road because I'm a big coffee house guy. I go to the coffee houses a lot and I wanted to have art that I could create, you know, in route in the coffee house or wherever I was. So I've been I using these that. paint markers. Yeah. Thanks. And because I don't have to mix the paint, this is probably my favorite one. This one. <laughs> I, I wish that was a t-shirt. Well, you know, that was the, that, that was, and still is the idea. Maybe you and I will collaborate on that too, because I looked into making t-shirts. It can be done, but then it's almost like too much information can be dangerous because then I'm watching all these YouTube videos about how to make your art into t-shirts. And I find the one video of the guy, like going through all the cons, like, you know what I mean? Like, make sure you have the right t-shirt company. You, you, you know what I mean? Like it, it became more complicated than I thought. And that's not to say it's not worth it. It's just, like I said, when I get, when I see those roadblocks of distribution, sometimes I just want to hide back into the art form because it, it intimidates me at times. Hmm. I, I can't wait to help you. I mean, and I look, I know you didn't even ask for my help. I'm like volunteering it, no, I'm but I seriously know what to do. And this is, I'm so happy that we're having this conversation. Like the timing of this is perfect because again, there are so many other artists just like you. You're telling the story of so many amazing creators. And, and here's the thing. There's a lot of people that have way more talent. I'm talking to the audience here. There are people out there that have more talent than anything you will ever see on TV, anything you will ever see in an art gallery, anything you will see on the screen, anywhere that get passed by. And there's reasons for that that are not necessarily fair. There's, there, there's a, and, and I guess fair is one of those words like F fairness and, you know, but the fact is this, there's a lot of musicians that are not signed that have, no one even knows who they are but they are better than Led Zeppelin and Motley Crue and any other band that you love. And that's just a fact. But the coolest thing about what's happening right now with technology are people like Mike, it, it, they, they are, this technology, once they understand how to utilize it, they are gonna be able to take all of these creations, these years of hard, of work, hard work, blood, sweat, tears, stress, Things that could cause relationships to break up, business partnerships to break apart, friendships to fall apart. But they've got this art that they've created and they're sitting on it and for the world to see and they have no idea what to do with it. And you know what? Sometimes putting that stuff on YouTube, it's like sending your kids. I don't even want to use the example that was about to come out of my mouth, but it wasn't good or nice. It is awful. Like it's this. It's, 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 it's cheapening your product when you have to give it away for free when it's value. There's value there. I'm telling you, artists, creators of all kinds, like there is 
now is your time. Like now is your time. And I, and I want to help. And Mike, I want to help you because I believe that you have the art, the skill, and the talent to do something really, really special. And all it's going to take, brother, is putting it on a, a platform that allows people to see all that you've created. And, and I'm going to help you do that because oh, I want the world to see it. And I'm not even, I'm not blowing smoke up your butt. I'm serious about this because I want to see this get out to the world. All of it, all that you're doing. I want to see it get out to the world because the most devastating thing in the world for me to ever hear is, is, or, or to even hear about is a story like yours where you have it. It also excites me because I know how to help. But it sucks because I know there's a lot of other people like you. And as an artist, as a fellow artist, my wife is an artist. All my best friends are artists. I know what that feels like to have an art that, you know what I mean? I know they say you're not supposed to care what other people think of your art. But when you've created something, you want the world to see it. Right. Especially with what you're creating. So I'm excited to help in any way that I can because I think what you're doing is awesome. I love the way that your mind works in creating these stories. And I also love the fact that you're willing to fall on your own sword and take accountability for that because even that is art and it's beautiful. Well, that's very well said, Joshua. Yeah, I mean, I think you experienced the disregard of the vampire doc and I'm glad that you watched it. I appreciate that because it's one of those things where that story pretty much represents me and where I'm still at, you know, and, and you can see in that, 40 minute doc that I'm alluding to these other screenplays that I've written, you know, like American Luchador and Chris and the Coffee Girl. And I, I do feel like those scripts have a lot of merit. And, you know, right in the last month, I've, I've made a process of basically spending a lot of time, about two weeks on each of my canon of screenplays, revising and, and tweaking and, and looking for things that maybe, even if the script is five or six years old, what did I miss when I wrote it then? And I trust me, I do so many revisions, but it's like, what, what, what can I do in 2023 to make this 2015 screenplay better now? And I've, I've spent uh, about two months on all these scripts. I've got one that I'm going to work on today too, because I feel like I, I want to get these things made. You know, like the, that's the whole point of disregard the vampire was to take accountability and to be a catalyst for some of those other scripts to get made as well. So I hope that you, you and I can work together and make some of this stuff happen. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to set up another appointment to talk and go through this process because it's, it's not going to take much. And the good news is you're not going to really have to spend any money. I mean, that's, that, I mean there's obviously if you, there's, it makes it easier if you spend money. But at the same time, there's a free way to do this. And and that's what I know how to do the best because I had to do it my myself. In fact, I'm not teaching anything that I learned from some course that I paid 10 grand for. No, I had to learn all of this because there was no other option for me. I didn't have the money. I didn't even have a home when I started. Wow. And so, I mean, but I believed in what I was doing and I pursued my vision. And the reason why I have so much respect for you, Mike, and the reason why I keep saying I want to help is because I know where you're at. Like I do. And yeah. I know as, as somebody that I believe I'm a talented guy, I believe that I create some interesting things. And at the same time, 
I, I know what it's like to get rejected and to think my dreams taken off and going somewhere. And then it's just like, oh, another disappointment, another, another letdown, another person not doing what they say they're going to do, or that investor disappeared the day we were signing. I mean, I know those things, or even raising money for films and not getting paid for it. Like I know that life and I'm grateful for it now, looking back at it because it backed me in a corner, even getting kicked off. I got kicked off of Apple TV. I got kicked off of YouTube twice and Twitter and Facebook and every other platform you can imagine. But yet looking back at it now, I am so grateful that it happened because it forced me two years ago to start down the path of self-hosting learning the, I don't know if you know, masterpiece philosophy on the entertainment industry, but like applying those lessons I learned from him when I was in college and it's all paid off. And now I don't have, to, it's not even, I'm not doing it for the fame. I don't doing what I get to do to try to be famous. I'm doing it because I'm passionate about it. And this is the way that I'm called to do. This is what I'm called to do, what I get to do. And, and I want to help everyone do that. And it's, I don't know what happened. I don't know who decided this, but for some reason, we've grown up in a world, Mike, that after we're a kid, you know, we're a kid for a few years. And then all of a sudden they tell us to quit daydreaming and quit using our imagination and quit creating. And we need to get a job and we need to be serious and we need to tuck in our shirt and that college. Like we just, we've gone away from every, this, this desire to pursue our dreams because it's you need to get a job and get married and have kids and provide for your family. None of it's ever talked about is each and every one of us were created to do something specific. And mind you, we can do it a lot of different ways, but we were given talents, we were given gifts, and then we have our intellectual property of the lives that we've lived. And that's where we're supposed to operate. That's where we get to create. That's what we get to do. That's the value that we get to provide. And that is how that we are supposed to live, is living in our purpose and living our gifts. But you know what? We don't do that because somewhere along the lines, we quit using our imagination, quit dreaming, and quit believing that these images and these downloads that we get are actually supposed to be things that we do and use. Yeah, well said. You know, I, I used to teach acting and I did it for a long time and I enjoyed it. And I, I building on what you just said, I would say that a lot of people in their life have have a, one key person that told them they couldn't. And that is often a parent. If it's not a parent, it's usually a spouse or, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend. And sometimes it could be a sibling. And sometimes probably the worst time, it could be yourself. When, when that, that inner critic just tears you down. And then the other term that I would use for it is diminishers. You know, there are people that anything you do, whether I could write a great book and I could hand it to a friend, Hey, can you proofread this for me? What'd you think? And then that, that friends, eh, it's pretty good. It's not that great. And, and I just kind of learned, and, and I, it took me a long time that sometimes the people that you're looking to for that first vote of confidence, whether it's your family or close friends, those might be the very people that shoot you down very quick. And they don't realize, or maybe they do, when they're shooting you down or kind of diminishing is the word that I, that I use to what you've, what you've accomplished, they don't realize that they are affecting the artist in a way that they're not even going to show that art to more people. Right. And, and, and I just, it took me literally 
at least a decade to stop showing some of my closest uh, people in my life my art at least not right away or at least let them seek it out you know like if, if i made a movie i would stop showing these people the movie because i said at some level I'm not sending my movie here to as many festivals if I would have not received their immediate negative feedback. So I had to very, you know, just say, hey, don't show this movie to this person because they're not going to appreciate it. And if they do appreciate it, they're not going to articulate that. The, the words that they're going to choose to share with me are going to be negative. And maybe there's some level of jealousy or some level of, hey, Mike, who do you think you are doing this stuff? Because I'm not doing it. So that's just something I throw on top of that on, on everything you just said. No, and that's beautiful. I, and it, and it's true. I mean, I, I, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not going to use personal examples because it took some people that were closer to me a little bit longer to come around on what it was that I'm, you know, creating and what I'm doing. And I've learned to keep a lot of it closer to the vest than sharing it with the whole public now, because, you know, I, I've just, I've learned some lessons the hard way, but yeah, it is disappointing that sometimes the people closest to you are the ones that actually will try, whether they realize they're doing it or not, take a giant dump on your dream. And, and it hurts and it feels a lot more personal to have people that you love do that or tell you like, why don't you just get a regular job? And why don't you just go wash dishes or be a waiter or, you know, go back to school and like, no, I'm going to encourage people to do what they were born to do, because that's the only way I think anyone can ever be happy because I know having a lot of money, isn't it? I promise you it's not. I've had, I've done that doing, doing stuff. What other people wanted me to do made a lot of money. And yeah, I was able to do a lot of stuff, but I was freaking miserable. So guess what I did with my free time? I partied my ass off <laughs> and I partied when I was happy and partied when I was sad and all that other stuff, but I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't happy. And now and I didn't have a reason to not party, to be honest with you. Cause I, I'm just going to work and I'm going to go through the motions. I'm really good at what I do. So I don't even really need to be coherent to do any of this. I know what I'm doing like a robot and it's not fulfilling. Now I still want to party all the time. It is hardwired in my brain to be a partier like a rock star like that's that is how my brain works but here's the thing every day i go ah but i get to do this tomorrow i get to broadcast with a really interesting guy named mike messier so i'm i'm not gonna party tonight oh you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna go do this with my kids and so yeah i can't party that day okay well never mind and then i take my attention elsewhere I quit telling my, by the way, for you addicts out there, the way that I don't tell myself that I can't do anything because that's bad for my brain, but I choose not to do things because, and I choose to find something better. Now, here's the problem. If I don't find something better to do, I'm in a lot of trouble, but fortunately for me, I love what I do. And the reason I'm even mentioning this is because I know that there's a lot of creatives out there. There's a lot of people out there that are doing something that they freaking hate and they're miserable and they don't want to have anything to do with it. They dread going to work every day, which makes them dread coming home and talking to their, they just hate everything. And that's not a way to live your life. There is a better way. And if you're struggling with an addiction or you're struggling with something that you just can't get over, I'm going to tell you the secret sauce. Find something that you like doing more. Find something that you enjoy doing more than partying, doing drugs, drinking, 
or going out and being a whore. I did all those things, so I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, if you find something that you love more, it's typically the thing that you were born to do. Go do that, and you won't have to worry about addiction anymore. That's just my opinion. Anyway, Mike, I didn't mean to go off on that, that rant, but here's what I'd love for you to do. When we're done, or whenever you get time, please send me your portfolio of work. I want to see all of it. I want to see all, right. all of it. I'm going to organize it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a plan and I'm going to send it to you. And then we're going to talk and we're going to break this down because I want to see this happen for you. I believe in what you're doing. I think you're a brilliant artist and, and I want to see the door. But with that said, can you please plug your website, plug your social media, plug anything you want to plug and promote? And then any last words you feel led to share, the floor is yours, my man. Well, thanks. It's been a pleasure. And I was just going to say that the word addiction, another, a, a friend to that word or, or accomplished might be escapism. Because I think mm -hmm. that a lot of people, myself included, you know, we find some type of escapism and that could be drugs. That could be going to the movies all the time. It could be doing whatever. And we find that we're in that safe spot with that escapism and, and we can ignore other things. But as far as I go, the easiest way to get in touch with me or to find my stuff is good old fashioned website, www.mikemessier.com. And people can scroll to the bottom of the splash page or any page on the website. And there's the links to my books that can, they can buy off of Amazon. There's also my social media, which I pretty much do everything but TikTok. You know, I do Instagram, I do Facebook, I do Twitter, but I don't do TikTok. And so that's probably the easiest way, just because they're all right there for MikeMessier.com. And then if you are a YouTuber, someone who still likes YouTube, there's one man in the camera films where you saw Disregard the Vampire Mike Messier documentary. My feature film right now is up there, Blood Sugar Sedace. And I have a few other channels. One, Mike Messier is where I do Mike Sinston movie reviews and my angry life rants and then one pro wrestling and sports fan is where i cover pro wrestling and my takes on ufc and other sports and uh, yeah fighter play basketball is a great book a distance from avalon is kind of the the spin-off novel from disregard the vampire and uh, i think i've said about enough but mikemessier.com is is probably the easiest hub for all this stuff and uh, yeah we'll definitely talk off air and maybe again on air excellent absolutely Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. I am, I feel blessed to know you now and can't wait to check out the rest of your creations, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Bye-bye.